have a favorite comic book hero? Superman, the Incredible Hulk, or maybe just the humble old Dennis the Menace? It's comic book day! This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a cool but bright England. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or heaven help me, causes you to choke on your chocolate granola, please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat it's just another manic monday where are the weeks going we're very nearly into october and pdcco has put in a beautiful photograph to start the day i see mountains and and greenery and and it's so lovely thank you for that first photograph good morning to you pdcco good morning denise Good morning, Maggie and Jacqueline, and everyone is signing in. This is great, just what I like to see. Um, oh, the King Dude has got in quickly with my comic book hero day. It is comic book day, and I'm very curious to know, did you read comics when you were growing up? The King Dude says my favourite has always been Spider-Man. I have to admit I can't stand Spider-Man just because it involves spiders. It always put me off quite a bit as a child, um, even though, in fact, he just behaves like a spider. He isn't, in fact, a giant spider. But I don't know. There's something about anything with a reference to eight-legged creatures in the title that has always put me off. I'm going to admit that my favourite comic book character was Banana Man which was a kind of parody of Superman. Eric is just an ordinary boy. But when Eric eats a banana, he becomes Banana Man. And you see him transforming into this kind of yellow Superman. And, and he has all sorts of adventures. There we go. That's really, really awkward to admit. But it was very funny and, in fact, really good fun. And as a child, you, know, you appreciated the satire, but you mostly saw it as an adventure story. Aha, Denise um, says, I liked Archie and Veronica comics. Now, we didn't have those over here, but Jacqueline said, I used to read the Archie comic books. Didn't get them here. We had the Beano over here. It was the, I think it's one of the longest running British comic books. Um, they, you know, most of a boy thing. I think Beano was more what the boys uh, read. It had Dennis the Menace and Beryl the Peril and Minnie the Minx and characters like that in it. Um, I don't know if the Bash Street kids were in the Beano. Um, we were forbidden from reading comics at home when I was growing up on the grounds that they were dreadful rags. However, when I went away to school, they were all over the junior common room. Um, and I read the Mandy comics absolutely cover to cover and i thought they were wonderful i don't think comics have ever done any child any real harm so let me know please your favorite comics and your favorite comic characters for today it being national comic day i notice i'm assuming this is correct this is the same this is the right day it is also national daughters day national family day um, National Lobster Day. I'm not a fan of lobster, I'm afraid. They look like gigantic insects or something or small aliens. They, they just look deeply um, unfriendly and are a nuisance to try to 
eat. So I'm not a big lobster fan, but I'm a big fan of families and I'm a big fan, fan of daughters. I think it's wonderful to celebrate your daughters. So these sound like a really good idea. Um, Denise Sam said, sometimes I read Dennis the Menace. Yay! Um, yes, Dennis the Menace, I think, is probably one of the most famous comic characters over here. But it's just funny that you've got you know, Superman and the Incredible Hulk and, and a naughty schoolboy. Um, I suppose Horrid Henry is, uh, I'm guessing, is sort of next gen. Um, next gen Dennis the Menace. Did you know, according to this page, um, the Incredible Hulk known for growing in size and becoming more powerful when he's angry, was originally drawn as a grey character by the creator Stan Lee. However, because of printing issues, Marvel decided to change him to green, and ever since, he was green. Um, oh, um, Jacqueline is, is educating me here about uh, about lobsters. Lobsters and all crystal stations are part of... Uh, crustaceans, I think. You, ah, there we are. I'm getting good at this. Talk test. Um... Lobsters and all crustaceans are part of the same family in as insects and spiders. Anthropoda, yeah. Oh, phylum, not family, okay. Yes, I think that's probably why I don't like lobsters very much. There's just something about what they look like and those pincers and antenna. And I don't know, I just, they, they are just very deeply creepy. So you're going to have to do a lot to persuade me that lobsters are worthy of a national day. Sorry. In honour of National Comic Book Day, you could consider dressing up as your favourite comic book character, having a party uh, where guests come dressed as their favourite character, visit your local comic book store and pick out a new one to read, or lend your favourite comic books to your friends so they can also get hooked on comic books. There's an idea. Um, I had no idea, really, that... Um, they go back so far comic strips can be traced back to 113 AD on Trajan's column um, though the earliest comic book ever published was in 1837 called The Adventures of Mr. Obadiah Oldbuck written by Swiss writer Rudolf Tüffler there we go the 1930s was the golden era of comics with a huge surge in the genre of superheroes, um, including Superman in action in 1938, Wonder Woman, Batman, Captain America. After World War II, the popularity of superhero comics took a hit. In 1956, there was a modern version of Flash, um, which ushered in the Silver Age of comics, the 70s and 80s, known as the Bronze Age of comics. I had no idea there was such a heritage where comics became darker. Plot lines included real-world problems like corruption, environmental disasters and alcoholism. The trend has continued in recent years. Um, comic historians sometimes call this the Dark Age of comic books. Why does it have to be that way? I don't see why that is necessary at all. Anyway... To be honest, on, on dark subjects, it is today also the anniversary of the discovery in 2010 of the body of Gareth Williams, aged 30. He was um, a, a member of British Intelligence. He worked for British Intelligence, MI6. He was found dead in a holdall in his bath, in his flat. Um, it was believed he had been murdered two weeks before his body was discovered. 
It was then claimed that Gareth Williams had not been murdered at all, that it was an unfortunate accident that he had put himself in the holdall and suffocated. This was the official story that was put out. And all sorts of things were found in his flat to give the impression that he had something wrong with him. Um, all I'm going to say is that uh, Gareth Williams was at university the same time as me. Uh, he was older than me, so I did not know him personally. I just knew him to see because he used to come to the Catholic chaplaincy. Um, but friends of mine who were in their third year, same year as him, did know him. And he was not the weirdo he was portrayed as being in the press. And there is no doubt in my mind that he was murdered. There we are. I'm just saying that Gareth Williams was murdered. Moving swiftly on. <sighs> A very, very disturbing story has come into the British press. And this is something that really, uh, I, I think, is a concern for anybody. Um, it's, 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 been such, it's been such a horrific story. Um, some time ago, a Colombian migrant committed suicide while in a detention centre. This has caused... A fairly major outcry, but not nearly as much of an outcry as there should have been. I'm going to start with some context here. The majority of people in Britain who are of foreign descent, um, recent immigrants and you know, second, third, fourth generation, are economic migrants. The majority were invited to enter this country. People like Joe Clovis, you know who were part of the Windrush generation. Um, a significant number of ethnic minorities in this country were invited to enter years ago when Britain had a labour crisis, particularly following the war. There was a shortage of young men and so London Transport and various other corporations advertised for workers in the Caribbean, in Pakistan and various other places. Um, uh, other British Commonwealth countries mostly. So asylum seekers make up a relatively small proportion of people who are seeking to settle in Britain. They get a huge amount of media time, but in fact, as a proportion of migrants, they are a very small number. I will also say that I am not a no borders person. I completely understand and respect the right of a country to police its own borders. I think that is very important. However, besides my own immigrant background, I have had some contact with asylum seekers. Uh, years ago, I had the privilege to support a young Indian asylum seeker. She was a convert from Islam who was fleeing her family to convert to Catholicism from Islam. She fought to stay in this country because she was genuinely very, very frightened of being sent home and the consequences for her if she did so. Apostasy is not treated kindly uh, in the part of India she was from. The case failed. She was deported in an incredibly brutal fashion that I just... I could not believe would happen in this in this country in this day and age. I also tried to help a Chinese family. They were underground Catholics um, and they had broken the one child policy 
the poor woman had um, she had been forced into two abortions back in China of baby girls because she was in breach of the one child policy. She tried to go into hiding, but her neighbors grasped on her. And she had fled to England with her husband and their two children, the two ch the two surviving children. Again, could not get any support for them and their application was turned down and they are now back in Beijing. God help them. Seeing what detention centres looked like was a huge shock. <clears throat> I had never seen a detention centre before I was involved with asylum seekers and I could not believe that any human being was being kept in conditions like that in this country. The conditions were absolutely atrocious. It was terrifying to see. And it's left me with a sense that whatever your views about immigration, the whole asylum system needs to be radically changed. It is not fit for purpose. It's inefficient and it's inhumane, with individuals being kept in atrocious conditions, caught up in a bureaucratic nightmare from which they cannot extricate themselves. And this case of this Colombian migrant is a case in point. Frank Ospina Arrived in the country, it was a bizarre situation. He was an engineering graduate. He came to the UK in 2022 to visit his mother. Uh, his mother had settled here completely legitimately, and he came to visit her, and his plan was to visit prospective universities. He was looking at doing some graduate study. He then changed his mind. He decided he would enroll on a master's course in Spain, which was due to begin in May. He took up a short-term job washing dishes um, just while he was there, just to earn a bit of money. Potentially, I, it doesn't say quite clearly, he may not have realized he did not have a right to do that, even something like washing dishes. He did not have a right to work in the UK. Immigration police did a raid on the place where he was working and he was arrested with a whole lot of other people and taken into detention. He stated repeatedly he wanted to leave the country. He did not want to settle in Britain. He did not want to be there. He simply wanted to go. He was actually begging to be deported. Um, he wanted to leave. But he was told, oh, you're not going anywhere, mate. You're going to stay here for months. In solitary confinement, virtually solitary confinement in a detention centre near the airport, he very, very quickly started to deteriorate mentally. He became very depressed. He became, well, neurotic and suicidal. His family began to panic. They begged for him to get help. He asked repeatedly to leave, not to leave the detention centre, to leave the country. But nobody would listen to him and he committed suicide. And I don't understand 
what the point of this man's suffering was. He didn't even want to be in Britain. He made a silly mistake. And he said, okay, fair enough. I don't want to settle in this country. I have no desire to settle in this country. I only came on holiday and, and I took a job washing dishes because, you know, I wanted to make a little bit of money while I was here visiting my mother. Um, I want to go home. L just let me go home. What on earth was the point in keeping him in a detention centre when he didn't even want to be in this country? I don't see the logic behind this at all. It wasn't as if he was, you know, fighting a long court case to try to have the right to remain in Britain. He didn't want to be in Britain. I don't understand this case at all. It makes no sense to me at all. I can't imagine what his family are going through. The waste of a life is so ludicrous and none of it was necessary. As soon as it became clear after the raid, after he was arrested, that the whole thing had been an error and that he wanted to go home, he should have been put on the next plane home. He should have been given that opportunity. Um, but that was the, the difficulty I found trying to help asylum seekers, is that once they get caught up in the process, it's incredibly difficult to get out of it again. Incredibly difficult. Um, even when an asylum seeker says, do you know something? I, I, I will go home. It's fine. I, don't, don't march me onto that plane in handcuffs. I, I'm perfectly happy to leave. They were not given that opportunity. And it just it seems to me just to be punitive for the sake of it. I don't see what anybody achieves by doing this, by actually um, by just holding a person in a detention centre, in, in an immigrant removal centre, as they, they euphemistically call them, who wishes to be removed. Where is the sense? Somebody help me with this. Um, Maggie's saying once you get caught in any government process, it's incredibly hard to get out of it adoption, criminal, etc. The government is like Hotel California. Yeah, I, I just wonder, um, we'd probably talk about the Asterix House of Madness. It's just, it's a nightmare. And for this poor young man getting caught up in this nightmare, I mean, it must have been unbearable. And I remember um, the, the Indian asylum seeker, I'm, I'm not saying her name for, for obvious security reasons, you know, repeatedly said to me when she was in the detention centre, she said, I just want to die. I just want to die. It was only her her Christian faith that stopped her committing suicide. Um, she just, she, she couldn't face it anymore. She, she didn't care where she went as long as she was not in that center anymore. Um, but you know, nobody was listening. Nobody was interested. What's all this special titles today? Oh, here we go. King dude is telling us today is the feast day of Herman the lame, the author of the Salmon, uh, Salva Regina. How lovely. And I knew he was lame. I remember being told the story about it. Um, by the way, it is half past the hour. You're listening to The Early Show with your host, Esfirella de Maria. Sorry, I got so caught up on what I was talking about. I forgot to tell you, if you've missed the show so far, you can get the whole of the, the early show as a podcast. Same day from crusademax.com. We are talking about National Comic Book Day. Who is your favourite comic book hero? Do you have one? Is it Spider-Man? Is it Superman? Is it the Incredible Hulk? Is it Dennis the Menace? Who is it? And uh, on a serious note, um, a young man who committed suicide in detention begged to be sent home. His family are demanding answers from the British government. The Salva Regina is so beautiful. Thank you, Herman the Lame, for the Salva Regina. 
Um, Dr. Tora saying, Herman the Lame, sheesh, these names. Yes, they're, they're pretty personal, aren't they? Not as personal as Portuguese um, monarchs had uh, had to deal with. Um, Alfonso, was Alfonso the Slobberer, um, I think it was the funniest. Um, Juana the Mad, I think she was Spanish. Henry the Impotent. Yes, they could get pretty, uh, pretty... Um, personal yes dr torres i'm torres the fat okay you said it dr torres maggie i'm maggie the short dr torres furella the didact okay thank you no no maggie the stout ha 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 well if you if you put on pound pounds then you can be stout right denise says i am doogie long before doogie houses stole my name and my birthday Okay, anyone got a good nickname? Come on, this is infinitely funnier than comic book um, heroes. Come on, what what is your nickname? Do spill the beans. This is too funny. Um, Maggie, uh, yes. Uh, what's this, Dr. Torres? To be governed is to be watched, inspected, spied upon, directed, law-driven, numbered, regulated, enrolled, indoctrinated, preached at, controlled, checked, estimated, valued, censured, commanded by creatures who have neither the right nor the wisdom nor the virtue to do so. To be governed is to be at every operation, at every transaction noted, registered, counted, taxed, stamped, measured, numbered, assessed, licensed, authorised, admonished, prevented, forbidden, reformed, corrected, punished. Then at the slightest resistance, the word, the first word of complaint, to be repressed, fined, vilified, harassed, hunted down, abused, clubbed, disarmed, bound... Choked, imprisoned, judged, condemned, shot, deported, sacrificed, sold, betrayed. Dr. Torres, am I right in thinking you are an anarchist? I'm just curious to know. <laughs> oh, Denise, you're short too. That's a, don't worry. Five foot short. I'm I'm incredibly short as well. But there we go. Um, good things come in small packages. As my teacher used to say, so does poison, as my father used to say. So there we go. Anyway, we have got to go to a break because the first segment always goes so fast. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat do talk to me do join the conversation the early show will continue in just a few moments here on the crusade channel live talk radio the way it should be
morning, all you early risers and insomniacs, and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to The Early Show with your hostess from across the pond, Purella de Maria. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation as you enjoy a hearty Monday morning breakfast. Bacon, eggs, sausages, fried bread, black pudding, the lot. You know my idea of the perfect breakfast, not that I had one this morning. Do you know, before I go on, just to recap what we were talking about in the first segment of things, I had the most wonderful light bulb moment just yesterday. I was listening to Father Mike Schmidt's Catechism in a Year. I'm a little bit behind. I think I'm about two weeks behind in terms of the where, where I'm at at the moment, but Hey, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And it was looking at, you know, role of your role in society. And I was having a bit of a bad day. I do get these sort of slightly down in the dump states occasionally where I just thought, what is the point of fiction writing? I mean, you know, writing, writing books and, you know, not enough people read and, you know, <clears throat> how, how important is fiction in a time of great crisis? Sorry, excuse me. <coughs> Didn't go down the wrong way. And I was listening to this. And at one point, Father Mike actually cited someone talking about the importance of storytelling. How, how important is it? How do we pass on the truth to the next generation? We do it by telling good stories. That's how you capture the imagination of the next generation. I thought, oh, yes, thank you so much. Someone's actually pointed out that storytelling is important. Uh, I, I felt energised to keep writing murder mysteries and things like that where everybody dies. <clears throat> Hang on, I'm going to have to pause for just one moment because I've lost my voice. There. Recapping the first the first segment, never fear if you've missed the first segment, you can get the whole of the early show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. We have been talking about Comic Book Day. It is National Comic Book Day. Do you have your favourite comic book or your favourite comic hero? Tell me in the chat room, who is it? What is it? Also talking about Herman the Lame, who... It's, it's his day today because he wrote the Salve Regina. And the King Dude is saying he was called Herman the Cripple too. The brothers would actually take him out into the fields with them to work by carrying him in a little cart they made for him. And this has spawned a whole lot of, you know, what is your name? You know, Torres the Fat or Maggie the Short, that sort of thing. Um Maggie is saying, I'm five foot three. I have a step stool in my pantry because I literally can't reach the middle shelf. Without, uh, without it much less the top two. Yes, being short is a nuisance. I'm a bit of a shorty myself. Um, what is your name, do you reckon? How will you be remembered? This is infinitely funny. Dr. Torres um, put a great big post up about anarchy. And say, I'm not an anarchist, at least not of the leftist type. I'm a conservative with libertarian right anarchist sort of leanings. Think Hans Hermann. Okay. Right. Democracy, the God that failed. I will look that up later. It was published by Routledge. Okay. 
the king dude is telling me that that music was that was from breakfast at tiffany's something for the cats um dr torres um loves hearing audrey hepburn sing moon river in breakfast at tiffany's do you know i cannot stand the story of breakfast at tiffany's but audrey hepburn is wonderful the thing is the reason she's wonderful in breakfast at tiffany's is in fact she is nothing like the holly golightly character in the book she couldn't abide the idea of being this sort of heartless um opportunistic tart frankly um you don't use the term tart hooker is that the expression you use? Yes. Um, so, in fact, the way she interprets the character of Holly Golightly is very, very different in the film than it is in the book. But, yes, she does sing Moon River beautifully. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a favourite movie moment for me. Paul C. Okay, favourite comic is Spider-Man. Also, X-Men and Silver Surfer are great also. I don't know Silver Surfer and I've heard of X-Men. Um but I have never, in fact, gone anywhere near it. Uh, but Spider-Man, I do know. I, I have confessed in the first segment I'm not a fan of Spider-Man just because it's got the word spider in it. And as a child, it really put me off. But I was a great fan of Banana Man. Um, also Super Ted, which is another spoof of um, action heroes. Maggie, Mike Church the Loud... Oh, I don't know. That sounds like a, quite a good idea. Anyone think that the King Dude is Mike Church the Loud? Paul C. I'm Paul the Confused. Yes, I... Oh, gosh. What is this? Um, those Torres. Yes, I think the general feeling is Mike Church the Loud is a really good idea. Joe, if you're at asylum, if your house is on fire, you don't squirt it with a spare COVID vaccine, vaccine syringe. For heaven's sake, you cut off or curtail the fuel supply... Deal with the fire appropriately. It's a no-brainer. We in the West need to stop destroying developing world countries. Um, developing world countries, governments, infrastructure, health systems, energy provision and police forces while dumping or abandoning our weapons systems and mines, followed by abandoning them to terrorists who through extortion get money to buy weapons to control, exploit and slaughter their population. We just bomb countries and complain when their people come here. Really, we should not be allowed to bomb or invade any country without a public vote. Clear objectives an exit strategy and a rebuild program with heavy UN penalties if failure is achieved. Stop weapons manufacturers. Look at this list. Libya 1990, Panama 1990, Haiti 1991, Iraq 1991, Kuwait 1991, Somalia and Iraq 1992, Bosnia 1995, Iraq 1998, Sudan, Afghanistan 1998, Yugoslavia 1999, Afghanistan 2001, Iraq 2002, Yemen 2004, Iran 2005, Somalia 2006, Honduras 2009, Libya 2011, Syria 2011 and 2015, Brazil 2016, Bolivia 2019, Venezuela 2019, Guyana, Iraq, Somalia 2020, Afghanistan and now Ukraine and possibly Taiwan next. You know something, Joe, we don't always agree, but I do agree with you on this. We create many more refugees than we take in. Um, and you're absolutely right. We need to look at the, the reasons for this and where this is all starting. I completely agree with you um, about this, about weapon manufacture in particular. Um, I just and that, that list is very, um, it's very disturbing to look at. Denise M is a fellow shorty. 
Denise, don't worry. All the best people are on the shorter side. Maggie, um, use a step stool to reach the bottom of the washing machine. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I didn't realise where that, that comment was going until I read it out. Yes, um, I quite like having a son who is six foot two and can now actually get things down from shelves for me. It's, it's handy having a tall son. He didn't get those jeans from me, got them from his father, but that's absolutely fine. It's very useful having someone who can reach where I am never, ever going to be able to get to. I can't even get on a step stool now because I have vertigo. So I need a tall son to reach for books on top shelves and things. But yes, the reason why we're talking about asylum is um, the news story of a Colombian migrant, Frank Ospina, who was, he was a engineering graduate, 39 years old. He came to Britain to visit his mother who had settled in the UK he was doing a bit of work, washing dishes and things um, illegally, as it happened. He did not have a right to work. But while he looks for possible university places, he had, in fact, decided to enroll in a university in Spain. But he was caught up in an immigration raid, sent to a detention centre, and they're notoriously brutal places where he begged to be sent home. He wanted to return to Colombia. He was not trying to avoid deportation and he committed suicide. His family are demanding answers as well they should. Um, the family were told on the 25th of March that he had taken his own life. A Home Office spokesman said, Our thoughts and condolences are with the family and friends of Mr. Ospina. The welfare of all those in our care is of the utmost importance. That's not true. As someone who's seen what that care actually involves. Any death in immigration detention is a tragic event. They don't care. And will be the subject to investigation by the police, the coroner, the independent prisons and probation ombudsman. Yeah. Okay. Um... It was really, really not good. Um, I just hope this family gets some answers. But I don't imagine it's going to happen anytime soon. Jacqueline, you are another shorty. Join the club. I think there should be a short person, a short crusaders club. Um, I'm, I'm happy to uh, to be the, the um, secretary. Dr. Torres saying, I'm just reading about the Gorbachev, Thatcher and Reagan summits on nuclear proliferation and SDI. Star Wars, it's naive to think weapons manufacture can be ended. You can't uninvent all the things that have been born out of war. You can affect the mind and make the case for diplomacy over war. What is needed is the wide acceptance of just war theory. Um, many of the displacements of the global south to the global north are also a consequence of a nation's chosen governing system. Colombia has a long has long been a corrupt nation, a an anarcho state. Yes, the thing is, Dr. Torres, this man was not fleeing Colombia. Um, he'd come to visit his mother and he, he was intending initially to go to university in Britain and thousands and thousands of people come to Britain to university every year from all over the world. And he had, in fact, decided not to come to university in Britain to go to a, a Spanish university instead. You know, he was not a migrant from from Colombia. He, he was he was here on a on a visitor's permit. You know, he broke the terms of his permit, which was which, which was wrong, but he he simply did not deserve what happened to him. Um, I take your point, Dr. Torres, about you know that it's um, it's not as easy as we'd like it to be to end you know, um, arms sales, but I do feel that Britain involved itself in the invasion of countries 
um, and involvement in wars that and conflicts that were none of Britain's business. And you know we do have to think about the consequences of that. I, I do I do believe that. Um, Denise, I'm saying my husband is six foot two. We're quite a pair. I tell you something. I have a friend, and it's it's really really funny. Her husband is hugely tall. I mean, he's well over six foot. I don't know exactly what his height is, and she is only just five foot tall. And it's absolutely hilarious watching them walk down the road. I mean, they they look, they almost look like they're different generations. Um, but there we are. Happy couples, different heights. If that's the biggest difference between you, it's nothing much to worry about. Um, but yes, I'm I'm appalled by this story, and I, I really hope that there will be just a good hard look at the whole system taken. Um, I certainly found taking part in an immigration hearing as a witness incredibly stressful, and I couldn't. I couldn't imagine what it would be like if you were the one pleading for your liberty. I just, I found that the whole system is so corrupt. I think there just, there has to be a huge, a huge shake up. But as Joe says, you know, we've got to look at why this is happening in the first place. Moving swiftly on. Okay, let's go for something a little bit lighter, shall we? Just to, um, I'm not sure this is very light for the person concerned, but a woman is claiming that she was forced to buy every single packet of peanuts on board her flight. Yeah. She, she had a severe nut allergy. And she said she asked the cabin crew, this is a Eurowings flight, she asked the cabin crew, pretty please, not to serve the peanuts because she had such a severe allergy that even if people just started opening the packets, it would set her off. They refused, she claimed. So she bought every single packet, 48 packets of nuts for £144. That was almost three times the price of her £50 airfare to travel from London to Dusseldorf. Said it was the only way she could ensure that she was safe. Um, the design worker said, the design worker said, you know, the stewards looked at me blankly like I was crazy and said, there's a lot, we'll have to count all the nuts. And she said, please do count them, I'll pay for them all, seeing as you've left me without any choice. Um, she said, the airline should be ashamed of how they handled the situation. Um, she requested a refund for all the nuts. A spokesman for Eurowings said, we're very sorry the flight with us did not go as smoothly as planned, which I think is one of those glorious euphemisms that always comes into these statements. We regret any inconvenience this caused Leo Williams. One thing in advance, Leo Williams was not forced to buy all packets of peanuts on board. On the contrary, our purser tried to offer her an alternative solution by informing all passengers sitting around her about her allergy. She agreed at first, but then still decided to buy all the packages. Um, the airline says it's unable to guarantee the aircraft is free of foodstuffs that may trigger an allergic reaction because passengers are allowed to bring their own food on board. There are many cases for allergies and intolerance. It's not possible to exclude the possibility of their presence on board a plane. Um, passengers with allergies are advised to bring any medication they might need on board as hand luggage, including EpiPens. It's a... It's a difficult one 
because I take the airline's point that, you know, you, you can't be sure what people are bringing onto a flight and you can't have a no food ban. Um, I can also see why she was worried. But Maggie is saying from the medical journal, take a deep breath and relax. Even if you're allergic to peanuts, touching, smelling or inhaling particles from peanuts cannot cause an allergic reaction, at least not the serious life threatening type that everyone with a peanut allergy fears. You're not in danger unless you eat them. Is that the case? Uh, I always thought you could inhale and things like that. That's um, that's interesting. Um, it, I did wonder whether, you know, she there was a way she could have avoided having to do that. I'm just imagining someone with a nut allergy buying £144 worth of nuts. It's just such a, it's just a crazy notion. Um, hang on a second. Uh, Dr Torres has put a book in the chat room. Nigel Bigger... Colonialism and Moral Reckoning. Um, oh, Jacqueline saying, my husband says he would make fun of my height, except I don't have any. Uh, uh, Dr. Torres saying, there are good, both good and bad things that come out of colonialism and empire. Don't only focus on the bad. It ain't a zero-sum game. Just saying, no, I agree with you, Dr. Torres. I, I think there has to be a much more balanced look um, at, the whole, at the whole subject. Um, and also adding, some things happen by a domino effect, empires conquer and divide, but there's all sorts of things that occur. After that, you can't attribute all the ills of the global south to former empires or colonizing countries. Many have declared their independence in the middle of the 20th century or before. I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, coming from a former colony, a former British colony, I try to take as balanced a view as possible because the fact is... Um, Malta had a very good time under the under the empire, and one of the things I try to I try to point out is that we shouldn't talk about the British Empire as if it's one homogenous entity, because it was a vast empire, and it it was all over the world, and it's a, almost a bit of an insult to suggest that the experience of people in Malta, in India. Um, in Singapore, in Australia, is going to be exactly the same. You know, the, the empire, it covered so many different peoples, cultures, religions. We weren't all going to have the same experience. And one point I make is that the irony is not lost on me, for example, that a million Irishmen starved to death in the famine because Westminster couldn't get, you know, get its act together. When a thousand British servicemen gave their lives to stop the Maltese people from starving during the Second World War. You know, we've had very, very markedly different experiences, and I'm very aware of that. And I think we've got to take a much more nuanced approach. It's became, become very, very uh, popular, very trendy to talk about, you know, how awful and depressed we all were. Well, both my grandfathers very proudly wore a British uniform. My maternal grandfather was in the RAF and my paternal grandfather was in the Royal Navy. And my paternal grandfather was in the Navy long before the war happened. He made that choice very young, as early as he could. He joined the Navy and he had a fascinating career. I mean, the war was horrible, but it was horrific for a lot of people. And it would have been a lot more horrific if Malta had not been under the protection of Britain. Um, so, no, it is it is a nuancing, a nuancing exercise we need to have. But I just I don't think it's going to be any time soon that we have a nuanced debate about anything. 
Um, but you know, I'm I'm aware of the the need to avoid blaming everything on the one hand and completely excusing it on the other. You know, as you say, there were good and bad effects, and you know, we've got to be as honest about the good as we are about the bad. Um, so yes, I think, I think that's an important uh, it's an important point to raise and not at all a popular one but one of the things i love about doing a show on this channel is it's possible to say things that are not popular and not get cancelled and not get nasty names thrown at you you know and it's like we can almost behave like grown-ups and have a conversation uh, it is three minutes past the hour you are listening to the early show with your hostess Fiorella de Maria if you've missed the show so far never fear you can get the whole of the early show as a podcast same day from crusademax.com we've been talking about National Comic Book Day do you have a favourite comic hero who is it please somebody say someone other than Spider-Man pretty please um it's also National Daughters' Day, National Family Day. Oh, come on, that's got to be a good thing. National Lobster Day, but I cannot stand lobsters. So I'm moving right away from that particular national day, if it's all the same to you. We've also been talking about Herman the Lame, the author of the Salve Regina. And what would your unflattering name be if you had one? We've had various. We've had Maggie the Short. We've had Torres the Fat. We've had Paul the Confused, Mike Church the Loud. I think he's got off fairly lightly, don't you think? Um, who else do you think should have their own name? Um, I'm just I'm just thinking, do I dare? Um, do I dare even suggest a few? In the news, we've been talking about a woman who says she was forced to buy £144 worth of packets of peanuts on a flight because she had a severe nut allergy and the crew refused to um, refrain from handing them out to people. Though Maggie's been saying you cannot, in fact, get an allergic reaction from being near somebody eating peanuts, uh, which is interesting. Also, the terrible case of a Colombian migrant who committed suicide whilst in a detention centre in Britain, whilst pleading to be sent home. Denise, um, aha, you liked Superman, Superman and Lois. Lois was his girlfriend, wasn't he? Wasn't she? Yes. Superman, I do remember. Um, Yes, all the sort of girly characters, they've sort of somewhat sunk without trace. I suppose, no, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. Um, Beryl the Peril sounds so old now. I mean, that was old when I was a child. The Mandy comics were pretty good, though. <clears throat> I was fond of the Mandy comics, though they do slightly remind me of boarding school. Anyone else? I've never been a Marvel fan, so anyone else got a favourite comic book character? And could anyone put the case for lobsters? What is the point of lobsters? And by the way, while we're on the, the subject of making a case for things that I don't like very much, there's a post going around social media showing a huge spider. And it's the British house spider, because they all come indoors at this time of year. This is the one thing I don't like about the autumn in this country is that ginormous spiders come into the house. I mean, spiders the same the same size as your hand, you know? They're huge and horrible. And they're the, I can cope with the smaller spiders now. I cannot cope with the big ones. And there's this post going around saying, the great English garden spider, sorry, the English house spider is your friend. It only comes indoors out of the cold to find somewhere warm 
for the winter and the males come in looking for a mate. That is all. In the spring they will happily leave your home again. And don't squash them, please, because they eat up all the nasty little insects and they save your crops. And I don't care. I cannot stand them and they will die if I see them in my house. Um, I'm, there's just there's only so far I can go in the whole living in harmony with nature. If spiders wish to live and thrive, they can do it outside. Um, and as for lobsters, they can stay in the sea. I do not wish to see one on my plate any time soon. Ah, um, this looks interesting. It's a Jordan Peterson podcast. Separating good from evil in the British Empire. Dr. Nigel Bigger. Oh, I see. He's, he's um, is he interviewing Dr. Nigel or are they having a chat? Breaks down his new publication. Pass out the truths and falsehoods. From the modern-day revisionist movement, they explore the ethics of imperialism, the motivations, etc., etc. Do you know, that looks really interesting. You're saying that was a great show. I, I must actually listen to that. I'm generally, I'm genuinely interested in just hearing a, a slightly more, I'm going to say the word one more time, a slightly more nuanced approach to the whole empire question. Dr. Torres, is that your breakfast? I'm trying to work out what it is. Is that cheese, scones, and um, tuna? Is it tuna? Am I right? It's guess the breakfast time of the show. Right. Well, moving swiftly on. Um, yes, the other little um, the little point I made in the first segment, by the way, is that it's the anniversary of the discovery in 2010 of the body of Gareth Williams, an MI6 worker. Um, he was found dead in a holdall in his bath. The claim was that, uh, well, he'd been in there for two weeks before he was discovered. It was horrible, um, really, really horrible. Um, it was claimed that he did it on purpose. It was, uh, it was a, a, a dodgy game that went wrong, and they, um, there were all sorts of strange things found in his flat. Um, just saying, he was at university the same time as me, and I didn't know him personally, but I know people who did, and they said he wasn't like that, and he was murdered, and it was a cover-up. Okay, just saying that from here. Gareth Williams was murdered. Yay. Okay. Um, Joe, colonialism. The Irish famine was deliberate. It was genocide. Yes, I completely agree with you. That was the point I was making, Joe. Um, listen, um, hang on. Look at today. France has been kicked out of Niger. Why? Imagine that France pays, pays less than $1 per ki kilo while on the world market. It goes for over 200 um, My point is, even though these countries have had independence, their leaders have been corrupted by Western government or big businesses to sell their resources for next to nothing. I have a solution. Any politician or businessman offer, offering bribes to developing world politicians should be hung, <laughs> including Joe Biden. Okay. Um, right, Joe. Um, I agree with you. And I don't think those points are mutually exclusive. Yes, I do think we continue to exploit the, um, exploit African countries. If you have not read my friend Uju's book, Target Africa, please read Target Africa. We are still involved in a form of neocolonialism in Africa. And it's, it's, it is colonialism by another name. So I completely agree with you about that, Joe. And yes, the famine was genocide. That is exactly my point. You know, a million people died in Ireland completely needlessly. Um, when when the when the potato crop failed, they could have been helped. But you know, um, the minister in charge of Ireland 
and of the famine relief claimed that this was God's punishment on Catholics for being lazy. It was an outrage. It was a genocide. It was completely avoidable. The point I was making is that while that happened, a hundred years later, in the same empire, a thousand British servicemen died, preventing the Maltese from starving to death. You know, it's you know, the, the difference is is jarring, and the irony is not lost on me. Um, on kilogram of uranium, yes, it's um, Joe. No, I absolutely get your point. Absolutely get your point, and. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when things like the situation in India happen. Uh, Maggie saying, I made the king dude nice spinach, scrambled eggs and a few pieces of bacon for breakfast. Guess I should have taken a photo. They were delicious and good for you. You should have taken a photo, Maggie. Next time, take a photo because that sounds absolutely wonderful. Well, I had some lovely, lovely friends over for dinner last night, all the way from Australia. And I felt a bit sad this morning because, well, he's now... He's now just turned 80 and saying that this might be his last trip to the UK and you know, with such good friends. And I uh, suddenly, suddenly thought, you know, after he left, I might never see him again. Um, but I made I made chicken breasts stuffed with cream cheese wrapped in bacon and pasta. And I made a huge lemon cheesecake for afters. And uh, we had such a wonderful dinner. And I should have taken photographs, but my children said they're getting a bit fed up of the number of photographs of food I've cooked that I put on Instagram. It feels like a bit of a, th a first world problem. Mum, please stop putting pictures of cheesecakes on your Instagram page. But there you go. So I have no pictures of the dinner, but it was a wonderful, wonderful dinner. Um, Dr. Torres is saying... Um, Africa is controlled by African leaders. If it's being exploited, those leaders bear some responsibility, just as African rulers bear some responsibility for the transatlantic slave trade. I was Smiley as a kid, my nickname. All right, Torres the Smiley. There we go. Smiley Torres. Um, yeah, this is a point. This, this is a good deb debate we're having here. This, this is important. And yes, Dr. Torres, I think you're right. There's always, there's always shared responsibility here. Um, so... Yes, the West bears it. The West bears its responsibility. African leaders bear their responsibility too. Um, I suppose I was just so shocked um, when Ivan and the South African team um, shared with me that video of the South African Parliament with the president taking no responsibility at all for the, the murder of white farmers on the grounds that the person who'd raised the issue was white. And therefore, it didn't matter. And it just it made me realise just how how much work there still is to do. How you know how much need there still is. I, I find it depressing because, as has been pointed out in the chat room, a lot of a lot of African countries they they got their independence in the mid twentieth century. You know, it should be a very different world by now. And yet, there is still so much exploitation. And yes, there is not one person once one individual person responsible, but there are a lot of people who do bear responsibility for what's happened. Just to round up, gosh, it's been quite a roller coaster ride today. We've been talking about comic book heroes, it being National Comic Book Day, the mysterious death of Gareth Williams, he was murdered, <clears throat> just saying, and a migrant from Colombia who committed suicide in a detention centre in Britain. It's raised questions about the way 
cases are dealt with, the fact that he got stuck in this bureaucratic nightmare when he just wanted to go home. And a woman who claims she had to spend £144 buying up every packet of peanuts on a, a flight to protect herself from her own allergy, uh, something that is disputed by the airline. Oh dear, what is this? Um, oh, and yes, because it is a day when we celebrate Herman the Lame, the writer of the Salva Regina, everyone's nicknames is coming up in the chat room, and it's really funny. Jeffy Mann, as a kid, my nickname was Fart Blossom. Wow, yes, it's it's not just in Europe that we go for really unflattering names, I'm glad to see. <laughs> um, Jacqueline, is that a dead rat? Is that the rat? that um, The bunny killer? Oh, right, well, it's got its just desserts, hasn't it? Um, there are... Oh, that's such a beautiful picture, though. Um, the one, under, not the dead rat. I mean, the one underneath the, the beautiful sunrise over the lake. Thank you. Um, yes, Denny's saying you got him! Yay! Well, hopefully, any any more litters of rabbits you have are going to be safe. Good morrow, Mike. <laughs> Good morrow. Good morning. Guten Tag. Bonjour, Madame. And how are you this morning on this beautiful Monday morning? So, what is your name? Are you uh, Fiorella the <laughs> fluid? Fiorella the... I was trying to think of an F word that uh, is synonymous <laughs> with productive. Um, yes, you have to watch that one. Uh, well, so any, any suggestions? Any suggestions in the chat room? Be nice. Yes. Well, I've, I've, had, um, I've had Fiorella the dud act. I, I I wouldn't go to the uh, I wouldn't go to the chat room for suggestions if I were you. <laughs> <laughs> you may not like the <laughs> the results. So no, was I someone mean, it, it, was someone disputing the the Irish potato famine? No, no, no. no um, I I said no. There, there wasn't a dispute here. It was um, I'd said that you know we have to be careful when we talk about the empire that we don't talk about it as, as if it's some kind of homogenous entity because it was a huge empire that covered you know millions and millions of people with different cultures, different religions, and obviously our different colonial experiences. They were very different, and I. The example I gave was, you know, the irony is not lost on me that a million Irishmen starved to death in the famine who could have been saved, whereas a thousand British servicemen died stopping Maltese people from starving to death a century later. You know, same empire, very, very different um, experience. And Joe was saying, you know, that the, the Irish famine was genocide. Well, I, I don't dispute that at all. It was genocide. Uh, it was the second genocide. So the first was the one in the Vendée, and then the, the second was in Ireland. Uh, we did a three-part uh, podcast documentary series on the Irish potato famine here. Back yeah. in 2018 or 2019. Uh, yes, it was very well researched. Um, it had um, it, it had some conspiratorial flair to it because some of, uh, of what happened was, you know, they tried to uh, tried to cover it up, if you will. Mm. Um, but there's no denying because the, the, the ship logs, I mean, if, you, if you start digging into the facts of it, the logs of the ships that left Liverpool and landed at oh gosh what's the uh, what's the irish port would it have been dublin 
I'm trying to remember which port it was. Uh, in, in any event, the Irish thought that the English were there just kind of uh, uh, were some kind of routine maneuvers that they were doing. And then when they got off the when they got off the uh, the boats, armed, locked, and loaded, and then began pointing the guns at the Irish to tell them uh, at the market to fork over all their potatoes. Um, yeah, it was an absolute. Tr- it was an atrocity. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, no, it's not. I didn't know about the. So when when did the the, the British army stop the Mal, or, or assist the Maltese in not starving? Well, during the war, you know, the Germans blockaded the Maltese islands. Okay. They had, you know, a U-boat ring, um, and that's why it's called. It's known as the Siege of Malta to to differentiate it from the Great Siege. Um, and their plan was to starve the islands into submission, and they very nearly succeeded. Um, and a huge number of British servicemen, you know, pilots and sailors died trying to break that blockade. There was a very famous um, uh, convoy called Operation Pedestal, where 14 ships left Britain, headed for Malta, and only four got there. Wow. It was enough. To, it was enough to break the blockade. I mean, it's regarded as a turning point. But, you know, 10 ships went down. That's a lot of men lost. Yes. Um, you know, it was... I watched um, I watched a documentary about it when I was a teenager, when it was around the 50th anniversary. And I was... You know, and I felt every every Maltese person should watch it, you know, because they, they were still able to interview some of the survivors at the time. Um, you know, it was an incredibly courageous thing. And that's why, in fact, the Maltese and the British have always been very close. Interesting. I did not know that. Um, mm. uh, Herman the Lame, or Herman, okay, he had three names, Herman the Lame, Herman the Cripple, or Herman Contractus. And mm-hmm. what had, uh, uh, have you heard the story? Um, I'm sure I was told it, but I can't remember the details. Tell me the story. By the way, um, Jacqueline, I infinitely prefer Fantastic Fiorella to Freaky Fiorella. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he was born um, with spina bifida and with a cleft palate, and uh, his parents just didn't think that they that they could raise him, and uh, and then they were uh, uh, depending on which story you read, they were kind of uh, one 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 account says that they were afraid of him, that they thought that you know they had uh, given birth to. Uh, that they had brought some kind of demonic force into the world or whatever. Just, uh, there's several different uh, lo- local accounts. But regardless of whichever one you read, uh, one of the things that we do know for sure is that he was basically brought to an abbey and left at the door. So they, they bring him in a cradle uh, or in a basket at the abbey, and they bang the door and they run, and they left him there. And the brothers took him in, and they raised him from when he was a baby. Um, and it was true. They built this little cart because he couldn't walk. So basically, but he could kind of paw his way. Hmm. So basically, they built a little cart. They put little wooden wheels on it, and they would carry him out to the fields, and he could actually, using his hands, he could make his way through the field by pulling himself forward or pushing himself backwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, He spoke five languages fluently. Including Latin, wow. he spoke Aramaic, the uh, Arabic. I forget what, uh, what the other two are. Um, and yes, he is the author. Sometimes Saint Bernard of Clairvaux gets the credit for it, but he is not. Uh, Herman Contractors composed both the the lyrics and the music to the Salve Regina. 
So every time, yes. So every time you hear the Salve Regina, just know that uh, today we would call this a wonderful case of of a pro life family taking in a child that wasn't wanted instead of killing it. Right. That's so beautiful. So just think of the um, uh, uh, just think of, of 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 Herman as, uh, you know, a child of God that the brothers treated uh, with dignity and, and raised him as, as as they would any other child. And then he grows. He, I, I want to say he lived pretty old, uh, pretty old age. Um, he, the Salve Regina is not the only track, uh, chant that he ever wrote, but that's the most famous one, obviously. All right, what else did he write? Do we know? I do not know. Well, Maggie's telling me he died when he was 40. But, but if you have spina bifida, that's an eternity. Yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, these days it can live longer, but yes, you know, for the time, right, that was right. pretty good, yeah. So uh, yesterday, I almost, if I'd have had your phone number, I would have texted you um, to wish you a blessed feast, and Joe too, Joe Clovis, a blessed feast of, the, of Our Lady of Walsingham. Oh, did that you, would have been nice. Did you know? Hmm. I didn't, no. No. <laughs> I bet Joe Clovis knew. How can you? I bet he knew. How well, he lives you, near Walsing. It's not the same thing. How can you be? How can you be? Uh, uh, how can you be a proper British Catholic and not know that yesterday was the feast of Our Lady of Walsingham? Well, I only really rediscovered Walsingham some years ago when I first started going free WTN. Mm. It was. It was never. It was never a shrine that I suppose different part of the country or whatever. I was I was near Glastonbury. That was our shrine. So uh, apparently, the church never bothered to uh, to write an office for her, um, mm. uh, even though she is the proto um, uh, she she is the proto pilgrimage. Um, mm. Every British monarch from I want to say, it, uh, okay, so ten sixty one would have been when William the Confessor was alive. Um, so, no, do you mean, uh, hang on, 10, 1061, um, Edward the Confessor, yeah. Edward the Confessor. So every yeah. British monarch after Edward the Confessor, once the pilgrimages began, did the pilgrimage, including Henry VIII. Oh, yes. So Henry would, would have been the last to, mm-hmm. to, to, do, the, uh, to do the pilgrimage uh, to Walsingham and then to walk what they call the, uh, the Holy Mile. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> when I was there, when we, when we were there in 2018, I walked the Holy Mile. And I complained the whole way to Our Lady because I'm mm-hmm. like, because right, right before we left, uh, Father Maul, uh, uh, Maudsley, I'm sure you're familiar with Father Maudsley. Is this Father James Maudsley? Yes. So oh, Father, yes. Father Maudsley led our, led our pilgrimage. So, oh, right. uh, yes. So uh, Father Maudsley, Father Maudsley says, you know, for, you know, for the really committed, we're going to walk the last mile and it may be a little tough on some of your feet. Well, um, and Father Marsley goes like, oh, by the way, when he, he, people say that he, even Henry VIII walked it, but when Henry walked it, they hadn't yet paved the road from the Slipper Chapel to, to the ancient abbey with gravel. So you take your shoes off and you walk a mile on gravel. And it's yeah. the big gravel stones, not the little ones, it's not pea gravel, it's the giant ones. So, uh, you know, we're all trying to walk around and trying to find little patches of grass to, st- to step on for the mile. Well, uh, you must have been in a bit of a state afterwards. No, I just, no I just kept saying a rose.
the way and just kept going, uh, just kept offering it up. But in any event, uh, uh, St. Pope John Paul II moved the feast day from March the 25th because it used to be celebrated um, uh, universally, kind of like it's just one of Our Lady's apparitions that didn't have an office on the uh, Feast of the Annunciation, right. March the 25th. So okay. in 2000, he moved it to September the 24th, which is also or was the solo feast of Our Lady of Mercy or Our Lady of Ransom. Right. Well, so, there we are. Um, there's a picture in the chat room. Yes. So yeah. is that us? Okay, yes. Uh, that, that's yeah. actually the I have very fond memories of filming at EWTN at um, Walsingham. I would, I would love an opportunity to go back one day. Yeah. Uh, now, you see that little building down there? That's the Slipper Chapel. Mm-hmm. At Walsingham West, when we finally move into our property, we're going to build a replica of that. Oh, that's lovely. Yes. So that's, uh, no, that's pretty beautiful. Yeah, I can give you the exact dimension. It is 12, 12 feet, 5 inches wide, 26 feet, seven, uh, 9 inches in width. And do you know where they got the dimensions, where Rochelle de Faverche got the dimensions? Well, she had a, she had a, um, a, a vision, didn't she? Yes, yeah, she did. So the Blessed Virgin uh, visited her on three separate days, three days in a row, and on, the, and, and, and on the final day commanded her that she was to memorize the dimensions, of the, and she took her to the Holy House. Right. Of, so, oh, look, I love the pictures of you larking about out there. <laughs> Please can everyone sign into the chat room just to see this. <laughs> so uh, uh, th th that's why you hear me mentioning uh, Our Lady of Walsingham and why we named our place, our, oh. our property, Walsingham West, um, because we've actually been. Uh, so on the third day, on the third apparition, when uh, Our Lady took Rochelle de Stefavre, she took her to the Holy House of Nazareth and told her, now, I want you to me memorize every detail and I want you to be very specific about the measurements. Make sure you get them right. And mm -hmm. so she built, uh, the, the, uh, they built a replica of the Holy House of Loretto in Walsingham. So before the Holy House was built in Loretto, the replica of it, or transported by the angels, depending on whose side you're on, there was one, <laughs> there was one in Walsingham. Of course, the Protestants destroyed it. Yeah, completely. Yeah. It's, it's devastating. Yes, they, uh, um, they they destroy lots of things. So I mean, the things there was a lot. There was a lot of destruction. Yes, that that giant abbey that you see there, uh, me standing mm. in front of, that is the remaining wall. Front that that is all that remains of a massive, majestic uh, uh, abbey that was there. That's all that remains of it. So you've yeah. been there. You've been to the, the oh, yeah. to, to the ruins, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I filmed there. Now here's an interesting little tidbit for you. In Houston, mm -hmm. Texas, there is a full-size replica of that abbey. And it's where they have the Anglican Ordinary Church Parish. Wow. Yes, Our Lady of Walsingham is right outside of Houston, Texas today. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. So I'm sure Maggie can throw, find some pictures and throw them up in the chat room. In any event, I wanted to wish all of our English cousins a blessed feast day of Our Lady of Walsingham yesterday. Um, uh, but it fell on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if it hadn't fallen on a Sunday, it probably would have been a bigger, you know. Yes, it, it may have. Um, uh, but all roads lead, as Joseph Pierce will tell you, all roads lead to Walsingham. <laughs> well, now he's got a London accent. All roads lead to to Walsingham. Essie has a, a very, very London yeah. accent. <laughs> so, uh, uh, a blessed feast of Herman the Lame. I'm going to take you out today to Salve Regina. Oh, thank so you. So instead of Colonel Bogey, we'll listen to some uh, Marian uh, beauty. And, uh, I infinitely prefer that. I shall see you tomorrow.
indeed. It is half past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from Chile, England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at CrusadeChannel.com. And the chat room is open for your commentary as well at CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. I will now leave you with King Dude the Loud, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel, Live Talk Radio, the way it should be. Oh,